Welcome to episode 8 of the Hypno What podcast. I am coming to you today live from sunny, sunny Lanzarote, where I'm currently on holiday with my husband and our little girl. They are currently off on a wee adventure to feed some camels and visit the volcano park. Um, so Clementine, that's our uh, little girl, she is currently obsessed with volcanoes at the moment. And part of me thinks that she's going to be pretty disappointed when there's no fiery lava erupting, as that is what she loves about volcanoes. So I want to pop a wee disclaimer here as well. I foolishly forgot to bring my microphone with me. So I'm recording this off the microphone that's built into my laptop. So we're hoping that the sound is going to be okay. Anyway. Today's episode is a wee Q&A session. I thought that would be quite an easy episode for me to prep while I'm away, so let's get into it. And the first question is from Sarah, who asked if I had used hypnobirthing in my own pregnancy, and the answer is kind of. I didn't do a hypnobirthing course as such, not because I didn't want to do hypnobirthing, but I just didn't really vibe with any of the teachers in my area. And there are lots of different approaches and different styles of teaching hypnobirthing. And the teachers local to me back then were very, like, divine feminine in their approach. You know, like, the visualisation of your vagina opening like a blossoming flower, talking about birth as being really sacred and spiritual, and that just wasn't my vibe at all. And just just to be clear, like I'm not in any way bashing that. There's nothing wrong with that approach and it resonates with a lot of people, but it's just not my bag. Um, I did, however, do the Positive Birth Companies online course, which was really good for backing up a lot of the learning that I'd done on my own about how birth worked. Uh, it also introduced me to the idea of affirmations, which I just loved. Uh, I really, really liked that I could make them my own as well, coming up with affirmations that felt good to me and had a bit of my personality. My best friend Jen, who if you've listened to earlier episodes, you will know that she was my like positive birth champion. She gave me an enormous stack of books and really encouraged me to do my own research on things, explore lots of different options. And she was probably the only person around me who was excited for me to experience birth. Everyone was, of course excited for the baby but no one really cared about the fact that I was going to experience birth and I'm sure many of you listening will be able to relate to that as well. Um, So even though we didn't do a hypnobirthing course my husband and I did a lot of birth prep together which I think beforehand he was maybe a bit like "Mm, is this necessary but afterwards he definitely saw the benefit and I think the most impactful thing about doing classes with your birth partner is not necessarily the content of the classes but the conversations that attending those classes you then have. So did I use hypnobirthing? Well no if your definition of hypnobirthing is attending a course but I would say that yes I kind of did because for me hypnobirthing is about building a strong positive mindset around birth and understanding how your brain impacts birth and I definitely did those things. In saying that, if I am lucky enough to experience pregnancy again and birth another baby, my hypnobirthing practice will 
definitely look different. And that's because the knowledge side of things, those seeds are already sown for me. I have a really strong understanding of how birth works. And I've seen birth work many times. But my practice next time will definitely be focused more around trying to slow down, I think. And to find time for connecting with my pregnancy and listening to my body as I already have my daughter. I understand that that's probably going to be a bit harder to find that time. So I think that will probably be my priority next time. Harder to find the time is maybe the understatement of the year. Uh, Actually, if you've used hypnobirthing in more than one pregnancy, I would really love to know how your practice and focus changed um, when when you'd been through it before. I think that would probably be a really helpful episode to do about trying to fit hypnobirthing in when you have other children and and how the focus of your practice changes so if that's you drop me an email to chat about it and my my details are in the show notes. The second question today comes from Amy who's actually a pal of mine from a previous life so Amy and I used to work together in a bar in our mad days where we were running wild in St Andrews And I have just realised that that was around 2009-2010, which was 12-13 years ago. Absolutely mad how that time has just disappeared. Anyway, Amy's wee babe is due very, very soon. I'm super excited for you, Amy. Really looking forward to hearing your birth story and I am sending you lots of chill vibes for your maternity leave kicking off this week. So Amy asked for recommendations for what to do with your placenta after birth and there are a few options here so I'm going to skim through them starting with what most commonly happens and that is nothing. If you don't mention it no one else is likely to and so after you birth the placenta it will just be disappeared. Your midwife will check it over to make sure that everything looks safe and healthy and then it'll be off in the medical waste bin. Nothing nothing romantic here. Um you do then have the option to consume your placenta. And there are a couple of ways that you can do this. You can either have it encapsulated or you can just eat it as it is. The suggested benefits include reducing the likelihood of postnatal depression, helping to boost milk supply. I will say that the evidence on this is pretty sparse. There's no concrete answer as to whether or not this is beneficial. However, what I will say is that anecdotally, so based on the stories that people have told me, I would say it's a resounding thumbs up. I have never chatted to anyone about it who regretted having their placenta encapsulated. Every one of my friends or clients that I've worked with who has done it definitely said that they felt it was beneficial, obviously. That is, like I said, just anecdotal. Um, But yeah, there's not a huge amount of evidence on whether or not it's beneficial, so... Let's talk about encapsulation. So this is where you would have arranged with a practitioner prior to birth that you want to have these capsules made. And they would then dry your placenta, grind it into a fine powder, and that's then put into capsules for you to take throughout the fourth trimester and beyond. And the placenta can either be dried as it is, or some people will give you the option of steaming it first. There's an idea that steaming it first means that the capsules have a more calming effect on you than simply dehydrating the raw placenta. Again, this will vary from practitioner to practitioner as to what they offer. 
And then you've got the option of eating it as it is. So some people swear by placenta smoothies and there is a recipe in the book, The First 40 Days, which is a really brilliant postnatal resource. And basically you chop off a chunk, pop it in the blender along with some other ingredients, or you could just prepare it and eat it as the meat product that it is now. On my stories on Instagram, I popped this question up asking if anyone had done anything with their placenta. And I was really hoping that Alex from The Birth Uprising would chime in. But it turns out she was kind of busy with her beautiful free birth that day. I did, however, have a wee chat with a, a hypnobirthing instructor called Tori, who runs a beautiful hypnobirthing and postnatal support service in Essex called This Is Kinship. And I've linked her page in the show notes. Definitely scope her out if you're down that way. And Tori just talked to me about how she used her placenta and smoothies. First time round, she and her husband asked their midwife to show him how to prepare it. And then second time round, he was a total pro and had it all sorted. And Tori used the smoothie recipe from the first 40 days that I mentioned earlier. And again, really felt like it was beneficial for her recovery. If you're interested in learning more about the potential benefits of encapsulating your placenta, evidence-based birth have got a wee video about it. It's not even 10 minutes long, so definitely worth a watch if you're considering it and want to know a wee bit about the research that's been done. I have linked that again in the show notes so you can have a wee look at that. And you could also just get in touch with a local practitioner that you're considering using and discuss it with them. And it might also just give you a vibe for whether or not that's a person that you want to have in like your birth support network. So yeah, I think that's a good idea to do to, to reach out to local businesses. And then moving back to what else we can do with the placenta, you can make really lovely tree of life prints with it, which I think is a gorgeous way to commemorate this incredible organ, your connection to your baby during pregnancy. If you think that's something that you might like to do, then search for placenta prints on Pinterest and you'll see what I'm talking about. They look really, really cool. And like I said, just I think that it's a really nice way to celebrate your body's amazing work during pregnancy. And finally, something I encourage all my clients to think about with regards to their placenta is chatting to their midwife about it. Your midwife will be checking over your placenta anyway, so they'll be more than happy to chat to you about how it worked as they do that. If this is something that you think you might be interested in, then definitely pop it on your birth plan because the chances are when you're snuggling a fresh out the oven babe, you're not going to remember that you were so interested in this organ and once it's gone, it's gone. So definitely if you think you might like to chat about it, pop it on your birth plan. You can always say no if at the time you're just really not interested. So next question comes from Liv. And Liv asks, how do you know when it's time to go to hospital? This is such a common question, especially for first-time parents. How will I know when to go in? And the biggest thing to consider here is your instinct. If you feel like you need to be there, if you maybe want to have pain relief like gas and air or any other kind of relief, if you want the reassurance of being around medical personnel, if you just think you need to be there then that is as good a reason as any to go. And I want I want you to bear this in mind as well if you're planning a home birth because 
Just because you've said you'd like to have a home birth and the team are on call for you, that doesn't mean you can't go into hospital if that's what feels right on the day. And another quick point as well, that, that doesn't mean that your home birth has failed if you, re- you realise that actually being at home doesn't feel safe for you. It means that what you think is right for you and your baby has changed and that is absolutely fine. Making decisions that feel right for you in the moment is what's important. You don't need to stick to what you wrote on your birth plan if that no longer feels good to you. So midwives will generally encourage you to go home if they don't think that labour is fully established or active. And I am using, I want to make a little disclaimer here, I'm using this language because that is the language that your care team will use when they speak to you. But please know the physiology of birth is not linear and the boundaries between the different phases and stages are very, very grey and will vary from person to person. Your body is not a machine and even if sometimes medicine expects it to function like one. So what is active or established labour? And like I said, it's a bit of a grey area but it's loosely deemed to be when your cervix is around the four centimetre mark and your contractions are frequent and regular. So the usual marker is three in three contractions in every 10 minutes, lasting around 60 seconds. And these are the markers that the hospital will use to gauge how far through labour you are. The reason that active labour is defined as a separate phase is because it's unlikely that after this point your labour would completely halt. Prior to that, spikes of adrenaline might turn off your labour entirely to the point where it could take a day or so to kick back in. And so that's why it's suggested that you stay at home until this point, so that the adrenaline spike from travelling to your birth space doesn't turn things around. Although it can stop your contractions, it's possible and likely that once you're settled back into your birth space again, that your contractions would kick back in once your adrenaline has settled out. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with adrenaline, go back and listen to the hormone episode and that will things will make a lot more sense there. And again, with being at home, midwives know the benefits of being at home for your oxytocin production and therefore the natural and generally more efficient unfolding of labour. But you might choose to stay in hospital if home doesn't feel safe for you. Then definitely make your case for staying. But bear in mind that you're likely to be on a shared ward at this point and you might then find it difficult to relax, switch off, get into the birth zone, get the oxytocin flowing. As usual, I have gone off on a wee tangent there, um, but the usual marker of when to go to hospital is when your contractions are coming strong and frequently. So around three in every 10 minutes, lasting for around a minute. And I want to make it clear here as well, just because your contractions are irregular or someone has told you on the phone that you're not in active labour yet, that doesn't mean you're not working bloody hard. I know you are. I see you. And maybe you need to get that written up as an affirmation to put in your birth space. My body is powerful and it's working bloody hard. Also, how frequent your contractions are at any one point doesn't tell you anything about when your baby will be born. It could be a couple of hours. It could be a day. There's no way to know. So don't let anyone give you any of this crystal ball rubbish of, oh, there's no way you'll be having that baby today. 
because they know nothing. And if someone says those words to you, I want you to close your eyes and think, what a twat. <laughs> when I was in labour with my daughter, my contraction started around half one in the afternoon and we then went to hospital around 3.30. And my husband told me a few days afterwards that our midwife had said to him at one point in the afternoon, oh, she's definitely not having this baby today. And that she was sad that she wouldn't see my birth. Well, let me tell you, she did see my birth. My daughter was born at 7.42pm and thankfully she didn't say these things to me, but I've just got numerous examples of similar situations with my clients. And there is no graph to map out how long your labour will take. This is why surrendering to the process and really listening to and trusting your body are so important so that you can tune out the twats who believe that you should be dilating at a perfectly neat one centimetre per hour, which, for the record, is nonsense. Our next question today is from Fiona, and it's another super common question, and that is, when should I book my birth prep course? And I reckon somewhere between 20 and 30 weeks is ideal. You've got heaps of time then to really work on creating and then building on a positive belief system. Um, especially important if you know that you've got a lot of fear to work through, as well as you've then got plenty of time to establish a relaxation practice and really get into the habit of switching off with your chosen cues. All of, all of the tools that hypnobirthing suggests for you to use, all of them are more impactful the more you use them. So definitely, if you've got longer to do it, then things become more familiar and therefore more effective. However, it is never too late and it's never too early. I recently interviewed with a family who were only six weeks pregnant to support them as a doula. And I've also worked with clients who, were, who didn't get in touch with me until 30 or 39 weeks pregnant. It really is never too late. I always think that doing something to help prepare your mind for the experience is always better than doing nothing. If your plan is to do a group course with the aim of making some parent pals, then I'd encourage you to just get in touch with the course organiser and ask them about the due dates of people who are also booked onto the course. That way, if they have multiple courses running, that means that they can kind of direct you to the one which is going to have more people on it around a similar stage of pregnancy as you. And our final question today comes from Sharon, who asks, is it actually as bad as people say to birth on your back? And I know why Sharon is asking this, because she is one of my clients from last year, and during the birth of her second son, the only... I don't think I have ever been interrupted as much as I have been recording today's podcast. Ah, you probably heard my daughter coming back there. Anyway, today's question was from Sharon. So during the birth of her second son, the only place that she could get comfy was on her back. But she said that she had this little nagging voice in her head. Oh, should I be here? This shouldn't be comfy. Uh, so to answer that question, it's a case of yes and no. A lot of hypnobirthing courses and birth prep classes will talk to you about the importance of positions that are UFO, so that's upright, forward and open, as well as something called Kiko, 
So that's K-I-C-O and that's knees in, calves out. And this is great advice to bear in mind because in general, being upright is good. Gravity is on your side, helping to bring baby down. And so being flat on your back is not the most ideal position for birth. And this also impacts on your tailbone. So that's the wee dangly bit at the base of your pelvis. And its movement is pretty limited if you're on your back. As baby descends down into the pelvis, your tailbone can move back to make more space for baby. But not if you're on your back, as it's got nowhere to go. And there's an amazing stat that says that that inability to move can reduce the space in your pelvis by up to a third. So you can see why it would be a pretty impactful position. However, the most important thing is to listen to your body. Labour is a dance between your body and babies, so it's highly unlikely that you will be comfortable in the same position throughout your whole labour. Because as baby's position changes, you probably find that you want to move around, that you're more comfortable in different positions. And if your body is telling you to lie down, there could very well be a reason for that. If that's where you are comfortable, then I say go with it. The most important thing for the unfolding of birth physiology is that you feel safe and comfortable. And we also want to switch that thinking brain off as much as possible. And if your brain is jumping in saying things like, oh no, we're not in the right position, stand up, get in all fours, knees in, or is it knees out? I don't remember, oh, what am I doing? That is the absolute opposite of what we want. Also, if you're having a medically managed birth, and you have maybe opted for pain relief, that means that you're finding it difficult to support the weight of yourself off the bed, or maybe your legs are just knackered and you need to be off your feet for a bit. Being in bed can be a really good option. It can get you a bit of rest, but people can often end up lying down as they feel it's the only way that they can be in a bed or because it's how we position ourselves in bed out of habit. That doesn't need to be the case. You get brilliant tools called peanut balls, literally just look like a giant rubber peanut, which you can pop between your legs and lie on your side. This gives you loads of support to keep your pelvis open while allowing you to rest. Hospital beds can also be positioned in loads of different ways so that you can be upright and supported by the bed. Leaning over the back of the bed on your knees is a really good example of this. Again though, it's all about finding what works for you. Epidurals can sometimes take a little bit of a time to set up. So while you're waiting, you or your birth partner could discuss this with your care team if it's something that's important for you to make sure that you can get the help that you need to be in positions that both feel good for you and are supportive of the physiology of birth. So to finish up on another re-tangent, yes, there are suggestions for positioning, but what I want to offer you here is that you remember those things as exactly that, as suggestions. There are no rules for labour and there is no right or wrong way to do it. If you find yourself unable to get comfortable, then think back to these suggested positions. But I want you to I want to invite you to trust that your body will tell you the perfect position for birthing your baby. And on that lovely note, I'm going to finish up with today's question time and get in the pool, probably with a, a wee shandy. Thank you so much for listening again. I also just want to take a wee moment to say a big thank you to Liv. Liv submitted this week's question on when to head to hospital, but 
earlier in the week, Liv also left a really, really lovely comment on one of my posts, just sharing how much she enjoyed the podcast, and honestly, it made my day. I know sometimes it feels a little bit strange to send a person that you don't know a message, I appreciate the feedback and you taking the time to do it so, so much. It's really lovely to know that there are real people on the other end of this listening to the podcast, because to me, it can sometimes just feel like I'm talking to my computer and the dog. (laughs) Right, I am Ofsky, so I will speak to you again next week. We're going to be talking about where to birth your baby, so whether that's a home birth, a hospital birth being at the midwife-led unit, or maybe even a free birth. So that's what we'll be covering next week. Cheers, folks. Happy Friday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Hypno Walk podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. And you can find out more about what I'm up to by heading to birthingparentsclub.com. See you next time.